All right, before we begin, let's just bow our heads for a brief prayer. Our Father God, we come to you this morning requesting that you be with us. Now in this special little time here at Sabbath School, may we be tuned to the words you have to speak to our minds and to our hearts. Pray that you'll be with the panel members now. Be with us. Bring thoughts and words and ideas to us that will be a blessing to ourselves and to others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know if... um, you all did what I did, but uh, I looked a little bit at the brochure uh, a little more carefully. Um, you know this this logo for the weekend. Um, looking at it a little more carefully, I see. Is this supposed to just carry in? Okay, very good. I see a uh, an Earth. I see uh, a very bright side, but most of it it's dark. I see a dove-like figure. I love that figure. The wings kind of like three flames ascending and then three strands going into a unity for a tail. Beautiful symbolism there. I like that very much as I thought about it. I looked at our logo here on the screens and I see filmy. But as I see on our brochure, it's fill me now. Okay, a little bit of difference here. Um, and I see that on our, our uh, badges as well when we wear them. So as I thought about this, and as I invite our panel to, to think about this topic, of course the whole weekend is addressing this topic, but today we're going to focus on it some more. I just thought about the words. Fill me now. And so, just just for openers here, I'm going to throw up to the panel. Who are these words addressed to? What is the tone of these words? And what is the implication of these words? Fill me now. Anybody want to comment on that? Well, I I think that the... um the, the implication is that it's a prayer and that it's us. It should be the prayer of all of our hearts to ask God to fill us with his spirit, with his power, with his presence. And the now part probably should give us a little bit of a sense of the urgency, not just, not just of the, uh, the timing, but also a recognition of our need. Um, this isn't something we can wait for. Like, we really need okay. his power and his presence in his spirit. So a sense of urgency with that now word. Did you want to say something? I saw that microphone. Kind of got to watch it at the auction. You know, you wiggle a finger and you... Hello. Um, can you hear me? I can. All right. Perfect. Um, so, I mean, in reading the verse and thinking about, okay, who was he talking to at the time, right? He was talking to several different churches that were being persecuted where they were at and they're talking about you know not only um the rain we're not only waiting waiting for the rain that's coming soon but the latter rain as well and i think um when we're thinking about being filled now filled with i think of being filled with the holy spirit it's a journey it's not just right now today and then i'm good for the rest of my time on this earth it's it's now and tomorrow and that continual daily commitment i think christ really seeks a journey with us and developing a relationship um and i think that's that's really what i pulled from the verse Thank you. And, and the verse that you were referring to was James. Oh, James 5, 7. 5, 7, and 8. May I read that right here? I've got it in front of me. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until, he received, until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Pastor Governor, did I see you? Uh, just also, as has already been mentioned, I'm not sure that's right. Um, the 
the prayer, fill me now, also implies a recognition of our need okay. that we recognize at least to some level that this is, this is our condition and that we need to be filled uh, and that the one we're praying to, our creator, is the only one that can fill, fulfill that need. And, no, no, you go ahead. Well, and oftentimes we go to many different experiences. Um, Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about wisdom and pleasure uh, and knowledge and folly. You know, things we go to to try to protect ourselves or fill that need, but really God's the only source of that. Yes, Alistair. So in line with what's been shared so far, I think of the verse in Matthew 5, verse 6, part of the Beatitudes, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so there is a sense of hunger and thirsting implicit in the question, what are we talking about? You know, I appreciate, that's, that's, that feeling. this is on now, right? I appreciate the, uh, the comments there because that's where my mind went when I first saw this, fill me now. The implication is, I either am empty and feel it, I'm partially full and recognize it, or I am full of something and need to be emptied, it seems to me. There's all kinds of ways. Those are the implications as I, as I saw this. And so if, if we need to be emptied, can we comment about that? Is there any more we can say about that? What do we need to be emptied of to be filled? Go ahead, Pastor. Uh, yeah, is It is, I think. Yeah, I think the book of James, if you're going in the context of James, every book, every chapter in the book of James has an example of double-mindedness. Um, doubting, hearing, but not doing. Treating people that have gold more, uh, with more deference than those who have nothing. Using your tongue to both curse and bless. Using your resources on your own pleasure than rather for God. And when you're double-minded, don't expect to be filled or heard is basically what James is saying. And don't expect, James chapter 5, your prayer to bring healing either. So Ellen White has a whole chapter in the book Ministry of Healing, Prayer for the Sick, that's built on the book of James that says search your own heart and uh, before you even pray for someone else because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and that's Jesus, of course. But um, he doesn't answer the prayers of people that are decidedly double-minded. Thank you. Any other thoughts on that? Well, along with what Pastor um, Don just shared, you know, the, the theme of James is practical Christianity. Verse In chapter 2, of course, it talks about faith without works is dead. And so we see this continuous through the book of James. So, you know, one option is you sit there and you just pray every day, God, fill me, fill me, fill me. Or we go out and live this life, you know, the patience that James is talking about is exemplified in a life of deeds, works, and actions, of living a godly life. And so, you know, and I alluded to this on the one message, is that I find the best way is whatever God gives us, we're sharing that with others. And as we continue to share that with others, God continues to fill us with his goodness. And so I think that's one of the most practical ways because James has to do with practical Christianity of getting filled with his spirit. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I think also, you know, uh, last week uh, in my work, I had three prayers of deliverance from demons. And I believe there's a return of demons in this age. Uh, doctrines of demons and devils. And um, so we had three prayers of deliverance. And always when we go into those, we're all asking for God to cleanse our own hearts and minds. And I think that, um, that this is just essential, especially now. People's lives are so wrecked and sometimes even our own that we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, so Today I just got a text. The person said, I've slept all week. I've not been tormented by demons all week, one of them. I said, praise God praise the Lord. that the Holy Spirit was there for that prayer. It's interesting. Oh, you want to say something else? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was just going to comment how this idea of fill me within the greater context of what we understand from scripture and how the Holy Spirit works, implicit is also empty me. Because we don't get filled if we are already full. Amen. And the whole process of the Christian experience is to be emptied for the sake of others so that we might be a conduit. It's, this, it's the flow of the Spirit through us and in what we do rather than simply a stagnating pool of blessings, if you will. Amen. You know, the, the thought, did you want to share something? No. I did. You know um, what? I totally forgot as we get started. I, am, I apologize. I was going to ask each panel member to introduce themselves, and I totally forgot. So it's a little late. See, this morning was the first morning I've ever met Mel in my life. So it was, it was good to meet her just backstage. But would you please introduce yourself? Most, many of you are known, but not all. Go ahead. Just start there. Don McIntosh, like the computer. Go ahead. At Melis Bueno Camarillo, I go by Mel. <laughs> I'm Alistair, Alistair Huang. Chester Clark. Calvin Kim. Madeline Urich. Stephen Grabener. <laughs> I'm so sorry I didn't do that to start with. Now go ahead with your comments if you can still remember it, Mel. <laughs> yes, I was just going to go along the lines of what Don here was saying. Um, I was recently at the past ASI talking to one of the pastors there. Um, Pastor London, and he was sharing an experience that he had um, also with uh, s someone from his church that was um, demon-possessed, and that um, they took him to a psychiatric facility, and, you know, he went to pray, but he said that the demons were just kind of mocking him, you know, and so he felt very disheartened, you know, like, I don't know what to do, and so he came back with some other members from the church, young people and they started praying and just confessing before God and they all were praying together and confessing and praying together and confessing and as they started confessing that's when suddenly the person who was demon possessed started screaming you know kind of like like actually the demons were starting to leave him and there was something powerful in the confession and I tie that into the emptying right mm -hmm. because the way that we empty our sinfulness and our unrighteousness is through confessing it before God, right? Because it can be easy to hide it and to say, oh, no, this isn't going on. I'm, you right. know, like showing right. that we're righteous in some way, which we're not, right? And being able to confess that before God so that he can empty that and then fill us, right? Amen. Thank you all so much for those thoughts. You know, yes, Stephen. Just also to echo off of uh, what was said, and particularly Alistair's comment, of the need to be emptied and how much we hold on to here and now, um, you know, our possessions, our identity, or our thinking, whatever it is, but to truly come to the place where we're willing to let those go and ask God, okay, you need to fill me, but you also need to empty me. Um, you know, Lord, take my heart, I can't give it. Uh, I can't keep it. You're going to have to do this work for me and in me. That's a, that's a really important point. I appreciate these thoughts that have come out on that. And the thought that keeps coming to me while I listen to you all discuss is the parable of uh, Jesus' parable of the uh, Pharisee and the publican. You remember that well, I'm sure. The, the Pharisee standing there saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other men. You know, I do this and I do this and I do this. And the publican, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who went from that place filled? I want to share a little quote with you all. And if you'd reflect on it just a minute. It, it struck me powerfully when I read it. It's from the little book, Steps to Christ, chapter, Freedom from Guilt. We may have flattered ourselves, as did Nicodemus, that our life has been upright, that our moral character is correct, and think we need not humble the heart before God like the common sinner. But when the light from Christ shines into our souls, we shall see how impure we are. We shall discern the selfishness of motive, Here's the next one that really hit me hard. The enmity against God that has defiled every act 
of life. Now, this is not talking about serial murders, okay? This is not talking about... Okay. Then we shall know that our own righteousness is indeed filthy rags, and that the blood of Christ alone can cleanse us from the defilement of sin and renew our hearts in his own likeness. So, Lord, empty me, right? Help me to see my need. Um, powerful. Another thought that came to me while Pastor Don was sharing, is there an implication to being emptied and not being filled? You've heard of Matthew 12. <laughs> right, you don't want to, and that's the point. Um, for instance, uh, you know, I think there's a return of false gods. And so there's a big um, rise in polytheism. And also, so in other words, not monotheism and uh, not monogamy, polygamy. And this is, uh, this is essentially the return of the demons. And when Jesus came, you know, you read the New Testament, it's all about casting out demons. It's becoming more and more uh, relevant in my work with, uh, within the area of mental health and uh, recognizing that this is not simply something from the DM6 category. This is actually a demon. And um, the problem is in America and in Christian nations, Christianity and Christ is under attack. He's kicked out of the discussion. Uh, he's kicked out of situations. And the house is swept clean. But when you sweep the house clean and don't fill it with something else, then seven demons come in worse. You simply cannot be empty. You must be filled. And this is the importance of the devotional life. This is the importance of the preaching of the word. This is the importance of witnessing. And uh, you need to constantly be uh, being filled, you know. Um, so Isaiah 50 verse 4, the Spirit of the Lord wakens me morning by morning. They give me the tongue of the learned that I would know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me and I was not rebellious. I didn't hit the snooze button. I got up and, and he fills me for that day. So, um, you know, we're in a culture that's being swept clean. But there's no such thing as being swept clean. You get filled with something else. Yeah. That's right. Before we move on, I did want to hit on the, the point you had hit on in going to Ellen G. White's quote and talking about us feeling like we're better than the other the person. Oh, right. well, we're not doing what they're doing. So right. at least we're not doing that. And it's really easy for us to look at, oh, they're so unholy and they're not living according to what we know, how God really wants us to live. And we kind of put ourselves on this pedestal. And, and the second we start to think that we're more holy, we're more loved by God than that other person because they're not living how God has called them to live, is the second we sin because that is not who Christ has called us to be. That's right. Christ has called us to go love our brethren as Christ loves them, as Christ loves us. And so the second we put ourselves in that position, we're separating ourselves from Christ and what he has called us to do. The first and foremost thing he called us to do was to go and love one another as I have loved you because we are Christ on this earth. When we look at the people that are demon-possessed and don't know Christ and they have been cleaned like people that are addicted to drugs, you know, they're searching for something. And I think that's where sometimes as Christians we miss the mark because we don't bring ourselves down to their level where they can relate to us and we can show them Christ's love that we totally miss the point sometimes. So I think, yes, that continual devotional time and knowing the scripture so that when you are in those positions where someone is demon-possessed and seeking, we can love them as Christ loved us. Amen. And I would uh, thank you for sharing that. 
Um, it occurs to me that if I can reflect this on what you said, when, the, when you get to the bottom line, it's probably not bringing myself down to talk to these people. It's recognizing that I am down of myself. And that's what struck me as a Pharisee, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty good, you know, I'm all right. Anyway, I appreciate your comments there very much. Um, my righteousness is as filthy rags, and it's only Jesus. Only Jesus. Thank you, Madeline. Okay. Um, we've been talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's the whole logo gives that implication. But let's, let's back up a little bit. And I would like one of the panel members, if you wouldn't mind reading Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 19, if you would. Any one of you. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. We're thinking about fill with what? That's my question. Fill with what? Holy Spirit, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's, from the scripture, let's see what this says. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? So we'll fill with what? Filled with all of the goodness, fullness, fullness, all the fullness of God. Yes. So... We live in an era where everybody says that what they're doing is loving and godly. Uh, no, no one usually walks up to you and say, well, maybe they might, but uh, they don't say, you know, what I'm doing is unloving. Uh, they might have a t-shirt on that says love wins. And they may trumpet that. So what does that really mean to be filled with the fullness of God? How do you know that you're filled with the fullness of God and not the fullness of the devil. I think, uh, I think, he, I think you've got to have an answer to that. Uh, and Hebrews 10 came to my mind as we were reading that, uh, where Hebrews, you know, it talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And the last one it talks about is the Spirit in verse 15 of chapter 10. But the Spirit, Holy Spirit, witnesses to us for after he had said before. I like that after he had said before. In other words, he's saying the same thing in the New Testament as he said in the Old Testament is what it's saying. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their heart and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. So here's the idea. To know whether or not you're filled with the Spirit and filled with true love is to measure that by the standard of the law of God, which I talked about this morning. And it's the ultimate litmus test as to whether or not you're filled by the Spirit or not, essentially. Thank you. Thank you. Another, another um, just a comment on this text that, that I liked very much as I, as I read it in the Ephesians to know the love of Christ. This version says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I just like those texts. To know something that can't be known. To know something that's above knowing passes knowledge. Kind of like the peace that doesn't make sense. Peace that passes understanding. Um, so God wants us what to does, know something. What does that exactly mean then, would you say? On my own, I would say I'm not able to know this love, but Christ in me 
brings me to a love that I cannot otherwise comprehend or understand. Well, Anybody I, else on that? Well, and to kind of answer your question, how, how do we know we're filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think the tools that we have been given, you know, through the Bible and reflecting on, okay, what are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit and how Christ lived his life and what we're being told, I was discussing this with Ken yesterday, I think we all hear different voices in our heads, so to speak. You know, the one who thinks, oh, you know, uh, love always wins, you know, their perception of, okay, I'm right, because everyone thinks they're right. No one ever thinks, oh, well, I'm the one that's um, not um, speaking of truth, right? I think everyone seeks truth. Um, but when we are that, what was the wording in scripture that we're rooted in Christ, grounded in Christ and in his word, then we're able to compare, okay, what I'm perceiving as being filled with the Holy Spirit, does that align with what yes. we find in scripture, with the characteristics of the Holy Spirit and with Christ's character? And I think that's the only way we can really truly know because we are sinful <laughs> and I think we're always going to think ourselves are correct without having accountability does it line up with the word yeah. Yeah. well you know I'm, I like to be super practical so just to really make it practical with long what you guys are saying is just questions that I ask myself do I love the unlovable yeah. it's, it's all easy for us to love the people who are good to us <laughs> do I really hate sin do I really, you know, because sin hurts God. It hurts the people around us. It hurts us. Um, does my heart break with the things that break God's heart? Mm. And these are just simple practical questions we can ask ourselves yeah. to really know, am I, you know, being filled with the Spirit or am I being filled with, you know, the other Spirit? Thank you, Calvin. Yes, uh, Mel. Yes. Along the lines of also what uh, Don was saying, um, I think throughout the Bible, we see that when God talks about, you know, the character of God and how do we know that we're filled with the Spirit, of course, we see that the Holy Spirit, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, because we know by the fruits, you know, so we know that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, we know that those are the big fruits, right? And then I think it's so beautiful because it's so consistent throughout the Bible, because even when we look at Exodus 33, 19, when, God, when Moses is asking, God, you know, to show him his glory and that God says he causes his goodness, his kindness, his mercy to pass be before Moses. So we see that this character of God is what he wants to fill us with. Right. It's with his character. Those are the fruits, right? So he wants to fill us with his character. And like how you were saying, right, the character of God is also his law. So we're able to kind of connect that that is what's really what we're being filled with. We're reading his law, understanding his character, being filled with his character. Beautiful. Thank you, Chester. Yeah, I'd just like to, to look back again at James 5, um, where it talks about being patient um, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. That fruit is was just referred to as the fruit of the spirit that um that when we are when we are surrendered to christ and when his spirit is filling us we will have the fruit of the spirit i like the way it says in desire of ages it's actually it's actually really a um well it's it's, it's a staggering thought um but it's one of the, t the questions we can ask ourselves i guess a test um when we, when we have the fruits of the spirit um she says that the fruits of the Spirit will be seen in the life, not one will be missing. Um, not those, one fruit. Not one fruit will be missing from our life. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, that, that you know, am, am I being patient? <laughs> it's, a, it's a real rebuke to us when we just stop and think about it, all the different things uh, that, uh, that the fruit of the Spirit must bring, joy and, and peace and all of those things. And, you know, in, in this, there, this passage also has an interesting history. It's one of the... The 50 golden texts, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, um, Ellen White, one morning in family worship, um, began to feel the, 
as I read her account of it, a, a vision was was coming, and she was resisting it. She she'd been in a time of real like persecution, as she was trying to meet fanaticism as early on in her ministry, and as she sort of resisted, she didn't she didn't want this message from God. She resisted it. And the Lord revealed to her that she would be mute or, or dumb for 24 hours. She wouldn't be able to speak. But in the vision she had, an angel held up a tablet which had in, in letters of gold 50 Bible passages. And uh, this passage in James 5, 7, and 8 was one of those passages. And um, she was able, after she came out of vision, she asked for a Bible and she began reading. She was able to write down and remember all of those 50 passages and um, and for as she, as she recounts the story, this was God speaking to her that her heart needed to be in the right place for her to be able to minister to the work that He wanted her to do. And so I think that that patience in waiting for the uh, latter rain, um, obviously experiencing the early rain first, that can be ours now, but uh, being patient and establishing our hearts. Uh, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. You know, sometimes we are so interested in the the events in Rome and Washington as sort of the signs that Jesus is coming soon. I believe God is waiting for his people. And um, our focus needs to be on our hearts, on that infilling. Um, not that we should be asleep to what's happening in the world around us, but we already know that, right? We don't even need to focus on it. We already know the times we're living in. Let's focus where we need to focus, and that's, am I willing to do the ministry God is calling me to, um, even at personal sacrifice? Thank you. Thank you very much. Fill me now. Let's look up Romans fifteen fourteen. Romans fifteen fourteen. If someone could read that for us. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. It's more filling, right? Filled with all goodness. How about Philippians 1? So before you dodge off that text, filled with all goodness that you might be able to admonish one another. Um, you know, those who I love, I rebuke and chasten. Uh, cry aloud, spear not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgressions. Uh, as I read it, part of the loud cry, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, is calling out the sins of Babylon. And God is doing that with a loud cry from above, and he has the people on earth that are doing that. Maybe not just by what they say, but how they live. So we live in an era of silence. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to do anything. I want someone else to say something about that. And so to be filled is also to be complete in him. I, I think one of our big problems is we're not complete in Christ. Uh, so we're, we're, we're cautious, you know. Uh, blessed is the man that walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's entropy, right? He's walking, he's standing, now he's sitting. You know, so don't do that. Don't be emptied by those experiences. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law that he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree, patiently waiting, to bring forth his fruit in his season. So, there's, there's this idea of saying, I truly want to be fulfilled um, by God. I'm not going to be hanging around scornful people. I'm going to recognize who those are. And I'm going to be positioning myself to be delighting in the law of the Lord. And with the fruit born of love, be able to admonish others where they know what I'm saying is actually loving you know, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be apt to teach in humility, correcting those who oppose themselves. If God perchance will grant them repentance, they might come to their senses, having been taken captive, the snare of the devil, to do his will. 
So there's the people doing God's will, which is the Holy Spirit, versus those who are doing the devil's will. And to have a spirit-led ability to admonish is, I think, one of the things that's missing, and it's why we're not experiencing a loud cry, which, as I read it, already started, and then it stopped. Well, and I guess my question to you of, from what you just said, if we totally separate ourselves from every person that doesn't live according to how we believe God calls them to live, how do we minister to those people? How do we reach them? Well, <laughs> the only, yeah. Of course, this, it's not me that said that. That's the text, right? So uh, I would ask you, how, how do you live Psalm 1? Psalm 1 is saying specifically, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In fact, Galatians 5 answers the question. It says, walk in the spirit, right? So in Galatians 5, it has the answer, which is, you have fallen from grace. We've talked about that. And then it says, stand in the liberty. And it says, walk in the spirit. And then it says, run in the spirit. And then it says, carry someone else in Galatians 6. So there's this progression of knowing where you are. And um, it's not about you anymore. It's about God, right? When you're admonishing someone, it's not about tit for tat with something that was done wrong to you. It's, it's representing, you know, God in that situation. And sometimes it has to happen, you know. You're working in an ER. Remember I used to work in an ER and I had this very sadistic physician I worked with who didn't like people that were not clothed with gold, like James talks about. And he was dripping betadine in a patient's eyes who were restrained. In the eyes. And <laughs> nobody was saying anything. I had to be that guy, right? I'm not always the right guy. I, well, another time I was... I was scrubbing someone's wound too hard with a betadine scrub and said something cutting. And I went out of the room and I came back to the room. And these four ladies were in the room praying for me. Oh God, give him kindness in his heart. And I had to apologize. And the Holy Spirit convicted me that the way I had delivered care was not careful so I think that I think that's it the whole idea it's, it's not a holier than now and it's an engagement but it's there's a destination just yeah can I just speak real quickly to that question John Wesley um, gave thought to that particularly with the text you know whoever's a, f a friend of the world is the enemy of God um, that sort of friendship with the world concept in the New Testament and he 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 gave in one of his sermons uh, a thought that I've enjoyed through the years. He said, there are three reasons that I should spend time with the unconverted. Number one, when the business of life requires it. When common courtesy requires it, number two. And number three, when I have reasonable hope of doing them good. And I think that that, um, that, that tells me, I, I don't know if he was 100% right on that, but it's been helpful for me because my association with those who are not godly should not be for my own benefit, for my own friendship, for my own peer support, for my own shaping my own world, but it should be me attempting to shape other people's experience and other people's world. And, and really, I should limit that to when I actually think I have a reasonable hope of being successful in that. Um, not just, not just um, you know, having a mission, but actually an intelligent mission. But I'd like to just point our attention to the verse right before this. We read uh, Romans 15, verse 14. Um, being a, full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. Verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, uh, sometimes we focus a lot on the being filled with knowledge. And um, we've emphasized that, and, and for good reason. Like, someone needs to speak up. We're living in that day. I totally agree with what Don's sharing. But before that, we're filled with joy and peace. Mm -hmm. And I think that we should be happy Christians who love Jesus and 
in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So he's saying, first God needs to work in me for me to be able to share with others, right? Because this is partially the Holy Spirit working in me so that then he can work through me, right? Amen. Amen. You know, it, it comes to me that um, you mentioned before, Chester, that the fruit is a, a package. It's not just one at a time, I believe. We're given all of the fruit of the Spirit as a package. But Paul talks about love, doesn't he, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. If we don't have love in our hearts, nobody wants to hear what we have to say. So first of all, we need to be filled with the knowledge and love of Christ through him before we have anything to say. A thought comes to me, you know, you know, sometimes you may have a, uh, a burden or a, something you need to address with someone, you see them walking in a path which really may, may not be good, may be wrong. What gives license to go address that with that person. What gives me the right? Should I do that? And under what conditions, what circumstances? Admonish, talking about admonishing the Spirit, filling us and admonishing. In what spirit can I do that? Yes. Um, two things. One, again, the text back in Romans 15, in verse 14, Paul says that you're filled with knowledge and you're able to admonish one another. So the context of the admonishment, in this setting at least, is in a church setting. It's not, if I see somebody on the street corner, um, I'm just going to go up and admonish them. Uh, I suppose, unless I really felt totally compelled and overwhelmed by the Spirit. Generally thinking, speaking, I don't think that's what this is saying at all. And I think we also need to keep in mind Jesus' words, you know, that you're not of the world, but you're still in the world. And I appreciated Chester's reference to, to John Wesley's. Um, but I think, Don, you know, to take Psalm 1, and say, look, that means we shouldn't have interconnection with people, is, you know, taking that verse in a way that I don't think was really intended that way. Yes, it says it. Um, but there's lots of texts that we just don't take the way they say them. We interpret them. And, and so this as well. I think there's, I think the psalmist, Davis, is trying to tell us there's a different lifestyle for the holy person that they're not following this path. They're following a very different path. They're meditating in the law of God. Uh, but as was mentioned, we do need to interact with people. That's, that's the only way the gospel is going to come close to people is as we come close to people. But our purpose in coming close to them, yes, shouldn't be for our own gratification, shouldn't be for our own um, awareness or build our reputation, but it should have an intent to it. The caution with that is, you know, Jesus disinterestedly loved people. 
whether they were going to respond or not. And if we're always feeling, well, I'm only going to be a friend with you, so I can hope I can get you into my church, there's something inauthentic about that. Where, you know, and again, um, I appreciate the presentation yesterday. Just going to be a friend. I'm going to keep being a friend, and, and we'll see what happens in our friendship. I don't have to play the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to fill me, but the Holy Spirit's also filling all my brothers and sisters, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to that person, and I don't have to try to re replace the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Um, I, really, I really like that question because I think it really challenges us to think, <laughs> and... Um, it reminds me of Calvin's um, talk yesterday, which I really appreciated, and knowing your audience, knowing who you're talking to, where they're at in life, do they even have a knowledge of Christ and what the Bible says? Because if you just start judging them and attacking them, you know, that's not showing them Christ, that's just, if anything, going to lead him farther away. But if it's someone that you do have a very close relationship with, that you know they know the scriptures, you know that they know <laughs> where they should be at with Christ, I think you know what kind of conversations you can have with people. But I do think it's important that you continue to remind yourself that we're not called to judge one another. That's God's job, That's right. not ours. Thank you. Yes. If I may share a passage that I think ties some of what we're discussing together, in Jude, um, verse 20 to 23, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And a few verses before that, we see contextually, this is talking about those sensual people that are filled with ungodly lusts and those apostates and so forth. So this is definitely talking about an outreach type of endeavor. And there are many applications I'm sure that could be made, but these two verses, 22 and 23, makes it clear. Number one, we do have an obligation to save them, to do our utmost to save them. I think that's the fundamental point. But there is a distinction that Jude, uh, or Jude, or the book of Jude here, mentions, and that is some require a difference in approach. There's difference in approach. Some are requiring compassion. You make a difference in their lives, whereas others, they're going over the cliff. You got to yank them out. And there might be a, a more severe word or whatever it might be that, that might seem severe uh, for their salvation. But I think the Bible does make clear there does need to be careful distinction in terms of who we're reaching which a distinction is a judgment no. so you're you know it says repeatedly in scriptures you know by your fruits you know them it says do you not know that we will judge you know angels and why not judge men so this idea of judgment it has to be uh, a divine idea of judgment not a human uh, idea of motivated by self-interest or whatnot and you know we have a judgment hour message right the hour of his judgment has come we better know what that means in terms of compassion you know and I think you know Romans chapter 5 now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us he's the one that fills us and then for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I know that's certainly true in my case. And for scarcely a righteous man will one die, but a good man for someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this idea of walketh not in the counsel of godly doesn't mean you're not with the ungodly. But it means you're there but not walking with them in the way they're headed. And you might be with sinners, but you're not standing with them in sin. Um, you know, you are there for a different reason. That's the point, you know. Now, 
One last comment, and yes. we got to wrap it up here, Mel. Just very quickly, um, in in mental health, you know, I work at a Christian practice, and I have many atheists that come in, and just recently this week, I had one of them that said, "I don't like Christians because they become my friends because they want to take me to church, not because they really want to get to know me." And you know, it breaks my heart because I see the pain, but I also see the thirst, you know, and. So I, I think it's so beautiful because just showing love, just showing that compassion, they're able to see the Holy Spirit and that will draw them. God says, I will draw men to me. I mean, he will draw them. And in Luke 11, 13, we know it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. The Holy Spirit is for everyone, and all we need to do is ask. Thank you so much. Amen. We've got to wrap it up. One quick comment here. Since this is the means by which we are to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the, Holy, of the Spirit? Mm -hmm. Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, and preach concerning it? The Lord is more willing. Thank you for sharing that right there. The Lord is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who serve Him than parents are to give good gifts to their children. For the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker should offer his petition to God. That's your challenge. It's my challenge. Amen. It's our challenge. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we offer up our petition to you. We recognize our need. We recognize that our righteousness is simply filthy rags. So, Lord, please give us salve. Give us gold dried in the fire. Give us the white raiment of Jesus. Fill, us our, fill our hearts with love for those around us, true love, as Jesus loved. Pray that you'll fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, till it's overflowing with your goodness. Less of us, more of you, and we look forward to your coming soon, Lord. Please, may we be ready and may many around us be ready for that day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.